MSW Media. A big thanks to Dame for supporting the Daily Beans. Get 10% off your first order at dameproducts.com when you use promo code DAILYBEANS. That's 10% off your first order at dameproducts.com when you use promo code DAILYBEANS. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, May 12th, 2022. Today, more crimey Eastman emails come to light. Baked Alaska blows up his plea deal. The Fulton County DA's grand jury hits the ground running. Donald still hasn't purged his contempt fines. Lindsey Graham calls for Biden to list Russia as a state sponsor of terror. A Florida judge says he will block DeSantis's racist redistricting map. And more documents are on the way to the 1-6 Committee from the National Archives. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello. Hi, Dana. Hello. Hello, AG. How are you? Oh, you know, a lot of news today. It was a pretty big news day. Yeah, it was a big yeah. news day. We're all just tired. We're all just kind of schlubbing through it. That's one of my favorite words, schlubby and schlubbing. Yeah, schlubbing and schlubbing. Rudging also indeed comes to mind, which is what a bunch of Donald Trump supporters had to do to get out of his rally the other night because it rained and there was just like it turned into a mud bog and they're all <laughs> trudging out of the God forbid the someone check the weather. <laughs> uh, I was like, this is uh, where where literal, you know, meets figurative uh, <laughs> where yeah. they collide. Seriously. But, you know, um, I'm sure that they knew it was going to rain and I'm sure they had him covered because his hair melts in the rain. But other than that, everyone was fending for themselves. That's why Rudy didn't show up, right? Oh, he yeah. Too. yeah. His hair dye and the cotton candy. <laughs> hot messes. They're all hot messes. Yeah, he's a hot mess. So later in the show, I'm going to be talking with the host of the Unsung History podcast, Kelly Pollock, about her programming in May and June, May being AAPI month and June being Pride Month. She's going to talk about what's coming up on her show. Some quick hits before we get into the hot notes. Lindsey Graham and Senator Blumenthal have put forth a bipartisan resolution to declare Russia a state sponsor of terror. So you know, when a country is designated a state sponsor of terrorism, it faces suspension of U.S. assistance, embargoes on military weapons, trade restrictions, and other sanctions as well. A lot of that's already been put into place through the sanctions, but this would make it like full like full and it's weird to see Lindsey Graham like going against Russia and the New York Times with another incorrect and misleading headline what New York Times <laughs> I know the here's the headline judge lifts contempt order against Trump in civil inquiry that is simply incorrect what the judge did was withdrew the contempt order and then told Donald he has until May 20th to comply and if he does not the judge will reinstate the contempt order and retroactively fine him for all the days between now and May 20th, and then continue to fine him until he purges his contempt. And he also ordered Donald to pay his full $110,000 fine that he's already racked up by May 20th. And if he fails to do that, the contempt will be reinstated. So, AG, that sounds very different than the headline you started with. <laughs> I know. I guess what I just said is too just too long for a headline. Too wordy. And it's not clickbait. No, it isn't. But, you know, maybe, I don't know, judge slams Donald, forces him to pay fine or have to pay more or something. I don't know. I'd click on that. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and a skinhead named Baked Alaska 
who was guilty in some January 6th shenanigans, was set to plead guilty to a federal charge on Wednesday as part of a plea deal reached with federal prosecutors. But the plea deal went up in smoke after he declared to the judge, I'm innocent. And uh, that was Judge Emmett Sullivan. And he said, you know, um, Mr. Alaska, I can't let you plead guilty if you say that you're innocent. So <laughs> he set the trial date for March 2023. <laughs> so. Oh, boy. Too bad for skinheads. And that's what they are. Let's be let's be honest. These are all skinheads. Yep. All right. We have a lot of news to get to. Uh, Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. John Eastman urged Republican legislators in Pennsylvania to retabulate the popular vote in their state and throw out tens of thousands of absentee ballots in order to show Donald Trump with a lead. And that's according to newly unearthed emails sent in December 2020 as Trump pressured GOP lawmakers to subvert his defeat. The recalculation he posited in exchange with one GOP lawmaker, quote, would help provide some cover for Republicans to replace Joe Biden's electors from the state with a slate of fraudulent pro-Trump electors, part of his last ditch bid to overturn the election results. Per the exchange, Eastman suggested GOP legislators could simply cite their concerns with Pennsylvania's absentee ballot procedures and then use historical data to discount each candidate's totals by a prorated amount based on the absentee percentages those candidates otherwise received. Quote, having done that math, you'd be left with a significant Trump lead that would bolster the argument for the legislature adopting a slate of Trump electors perfectly within your authority to do but now bolstered by the untainted popular vote. That would help provide some cover, he says. Provide some cover. I imagine prosecutors could use that phrase to show criminal intent as no one needs to provide cover for legit legal shit. (laughs) He's clearly saying, you can use my weird math to pretend Donald got more votes to provide cover for our highly illegal scheme to submit fraudulent slates of electors. That would have been... Substand. That's what he means. That's Trump University math, everyone, just if you're wondering. <laughs> All right. Speaking of prosecutors in Georgia investigating, said guy, his efforts to overturn the 2020 election have interviewed several individuals who served as fake GOP electors from the state. And that's according to two sources familiar with the ongoing criminal probe. The pro-Trump electors who have met with prosecutors in Georgia, including the state's Republican Party chairman, David Schaefer, were reassured that they were currently considered witnesses rather than subjects or targets in the investigation. A notable distinction that suggests the Atlanta area district attorney does not view their actions as criminal at this time. And I just have to interject here. Please, because something's not right. That's not what that means. What it means is that right this second, they're witnesses and not subjects or targets. It doesn't mean that Fonnie Willis views their actions as legal. Okay. Exactly. And I have a feeling some of them are going to start telling us they committed some crimes accidentally. Mm. We'll see. Mm. Now, the interviews with pro-Trump electors in Georgia, which have not been previously reported, they're the first indication that the Fulton County DA has already begun looking into the matter and adding to an array of other probes by the DOJ, the House Select Committee investigating January 6th and other states where alternate slates were put forward. And there were, I believe, six of them. And Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, she previously told CNN that the Justice Department is investigating the fake electors scheme and a grand jury in Washington recently issued subpoenas related to the fake electors and other matters. This shit is ongoing, people. Like, there are so many little fires burning right now 
<laughs> it's just unbelievable how much they have to follow in these stories. And she just sat the special grand jury a week ago, and she's already got these these false electors in there. Love it. By the way, when I interrupted, I, I want everyone to know that that wasn't what Dana said there. We were reading from an article. It's not what Dana was thinking. I, <laughs> I wasn't trying oh, to Oh, no. Say. No, not at all. Could you imagine people at home being like, is really? Dana thinks that that's what they're saying? <laughs> no. So... You know, we, we sometimes we quote these articles and, and I'm like, uh, let me interject here. That was from the article that is not exactly correct. Thank you for clearing that up before someone writes in. I appreciate that. Or I'm going to be reading a correction tomorrow. Yeah. They were. Why did you interrupt Dana? Yeah. I, in fact, gave that to Dana to read. So that would be really shitty of me. To- <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> read, read this, Dana. I'm going to interrupt you. Oh, my God. I was set up. Uh, no. Yeah. Now, uh, it's of note, by the way, that five of those six fake Georgia electors turned up as plaintiffs in Sidney Powell's election lawsuits, and she is under criminal investigation for that, too. So interesting. Next up, President Biden has authorized National Archives to hand over an eighth tranche of presidential records from the Trump White House to the House Committee investigating the attack on the Capitol. In a letter released Wednesday by the National Archivist, Biden again declined to assert executive privilege over the records. It is eight times now. This is the latest batch sought by the committee after SCOTUS rejected Trump's bid to block the release. Now, the new letter is in line with the Biden administration's decision to err on the side of disclosure, given the gravity of the events of January 6th attack by a pro-Trump mob. Despite all the people on Twitter screaming that Biden just wants to look ahead, he doesn't he's not interested in prosecuting the former guy. Well, yeah, okay. now eight times he's done this. And the National Archives has already turned over hundreds of pages of documents. This latest set, 23,000 emails and attachments. It's like 100,000 pages. Now, these documents are set to be delivered to the committee by May 26th, according to a letter from acting archivist Deborah Steidel-Wall transmitting notice of the White House's decision to Trump two weeks before the start of the House Committee's public hearings. Oh, that's still me. I feel like you should leave that one in. <laughs> there was a page break. <laughs> it's like, this must be the end of my time working. Oh, my God. We open. have moments, people. The committee has so far conducted nearly 995 depositions. Guys, a thousand depositions and interviews. It has received 125,000 documents. And that's not pages. That's documents. And has followed 470 tips received through their tip line. Good. Now I'm done. Now it's my turn. Back it up, lady. Yes. We're going to Florida. We're going to Florida. Florida Circuit Court judge no. said Wednesday, I know, just stay with me. I think this might be a good thing. I know. Who thought that that would start with Florida and then end up as a good thing? But a, a court judge said Wednesday that he's going to block part of Governor DeSatan's proposed congressional redistricting map, agreeing with challengers who argued that it diminishes Black voting power in the state. So this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Judge Lane Smith said he would issue an order blocking the use of the redistricting map around Jacksonville while litigation on the map continues. Now, the order will come as early as Thursday. That's from the judge, noting he expected the issue would be decided by a higher court on appeal. Now, the court fight was all but guaranteed when the Florida legislature, at DeSantis's insistence, they dismantled a Black-held congressional seat in northern Florida spreading Democratic voters across several Republican districts, like just out in the open they're doing this shit. A number of advocacy groups challenged the map in the state court last month, which they should have. 
And this is a quote, the enacted map is unconstitutional under the Fair District Amendment. That's from Smith. And he said on Wednesday, it diminishes African-Americans' ability to elect the representative of their choice. Smith said he would order a plan that redrew the northern Florida districts because it would affect the least number of counties and precincts. The case is expected to be promptly appealed, of course, and eventually reach the state Supreme Court. But what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, that's a good old pack and crack is what that's called. You put all of the voters of one block into a space and then you break that space up into like little tails from eight other districts so that you completely dilute the vote. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And vote dilution is still illegal. Uh, Although Section 5 has been gutted, that doesn't mean that... if Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act were still in place, Florida would have to go to the Department of Justice and say, we want to do this, and then the Department of Justice would have the final say. That's no longer a thing now. The Department of Justice actually has to pre-proactively step in. And so I think once this goes up to the Supreme Court, if the map isn't thrown out, I think the Department of Justice will probably step in for vote dilution. I sure hope so. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they, the DOJ so far has a really good history of this, of filing lawsuits against voter dilution and other violations of the Voting Rights Act good. in other states, including Texas comes to mind. All right. Next up, the host of Unsung History, incredible podcast. It's on the MSW Media Network. Her name is Kelly Pollack. You remember her from Two Broads Talking Politics. And she will be up next with me to discuss her May and June programming, which is going to be really amazing. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Today's show is brought to you by Dame. Discover your pleasure with Dame's thoughtfully engineered toys. One of my favorite toys is their flexible vibrator. It's called Palm. Palm is soft with a body that bends to your needs and contours to your shape. Palm has five different intensities and covers solid real estate so you can relax the way that best suits you. I absolutely love it. Plus, it's made out of medical grade silicone and it's waterproof, which means you can take it wherever you go. The design is fantastic. It comes in five different patterns. Nests right inside of your hand. It's easy to use. Palm is a great way to de-stress. Part of my self-care, and I highly recommend it. Dame offers discreet shipping, hassle-free returns, and a whole lot of fun. Please go now to get 10% off your first order to dameproducts.com when you use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. That's 10% off your first order at dameproducts.com when you use promo code DAILYBEANS. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I am happy to be joined by my friend, the host of the Unsung History Podcast, Kelly Pollock. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Allison. How are you? Oh, I'm, uh, well, you know, uh, I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's about what we can all say right now. (laughs) I'm here. I'm fighting, as I know you are as well. But what I really wanted to talk to you about is some of the stuff that is coming up on your podcast, which I absolutely love. It's called Unsung History. And tell us a little bit, I'm sure, well, listeners should be familiar, but if they're not, tell us a little bit about Unsung History and then what you have coming up, because it's an incredible lineup of shows that you have. Yeah. So uh, Unsung History, we're looking to amplify voices of stories in history that just don't get told as much. Mm -hmm. Uh, So these are certainly, I wouldn't say unknown. There are people who know them and have been telling these stories for a long time. Uh, you know, but they don't get taught in schools as much, just just don't get as much attention. So that's what we're looking to do. Uh, I say we, but it's just me. <laughs> me and my guests. And so I like to do uh, themed months whenever I can, so I can sort of draw together some stories that, you know, that, that really sort of help inform each other. Uh, and so I, I am taking advantage in May of it being Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. 
and doing all AAPI history, uh, which has been so exciting because it is stuff that just I certainly never learned. My kids aren't learning in school right now. It's super incredible. Yeah. And every time I speak with someone with, uh, you know, from AAPI voters or AAPI organizations, it's not just that their history isn't told, it's or taught. It's also that there's simply a complete lack of data on what's going on with AAPI voting blocks. And so it's an incredibly important thing, especially with the rise Mm -hmm. of AAPI violence and where that stems from, and just a giant voting block that's been largely left behind. And so when you combine that storytelling, which is so important, with our upcoming midterms and what it means to the API community, I think it's so important that, that these stories get air and are told. And that's, I can't think of a more important, because, you know, we're all storytellers. So, so talk a little bit about some of the subjects that you're going to be tackling in May. Yeah, so these are just fascinating. And I will say, I I think I've learned more in putting together this month than anything else I have done on this show. So there's five Mondays in May, and so each Monday has a, a different story. I started with the story of Mary Paik Lee, who's a Korean immigrant. Uh, and she came to the U.S. in 1904, which is very early for Korean immigration was in the U.S. for, uh, you know, essentially her memoir uh, is the entire 20th century. And just this incredible story of what it took to to make it uh, as an Asian immigrant, the, the racism that she faced. And Richard Nixon's mom makes a little appearance in the episode. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Unexpectedly. <laughs> And so it started with Mary Pick Lee, uh, and each episode, of course, I have a, a guest on, uh, and so each of the guests in May is also themselves Asian American historian. Uh, and so in that episode, it was Jane Hong, who's a, a professor of history in California. And then this past week, what I just did an episode on was Thai food. <laughs> so I don't know if you like Thai food. I love Thai food. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Absolutely. So there are about 300,000 Thai Americans and there are over 5,000 Thai restaurants in the U.S. Uh, And so digging into this a little bit, like why are there so many, many, many Thai restaurants? And it turns out that Thai food got to the U.S. before Thai people did in large numbers. And so digging into that history is, is really fascinating. And I ended up learning a lot about Thailand Uh, You know, because for the most part, Thai Americans don't get here until after the 1965 Immigration Act. And so there's a whole history that takes place in Thailand first that you have to understand. So that was really fun. And that was a historian at UNLV named Mark Padungpat, who is himself Thai American, had no interest in writing about food and then just found he couldn't tell the story of Thai Americans without talking about food. Yeah. And that's fascinating, too. I learned so much about the 1965 act when I read Wajahat Ali's book. Mm -hmm. Go back to where you came from and other helpful recommendations on being American. And he also talks about food and appropriation and and like how there's actually people behind it. He's like, hello. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, again, that whole push for AAPI, South Asian immigration and how they were kind of seen as the moderate immigrants Mm -hmm. to be a model for why 
American and white people and the quote unquote, the whiteness reject South American immigrants, for example. Yeah. So it was just a really fascinating and, and, and there is food involved. And I think that that's very interesting that the, the food got here first, right? And, and then the people. <laughs> yes. Uh, I will warn anyone who listens to that episode, you're going to want Thai food. <laughs> so, and then I do two episodes on uh, Japanese Americans. Uh, and one is this just really interesting story about second generation Japanese Americans who went back to Japan because uh, in part because of how much racism they were facing in the lead up to World War II and some of them actually sort of got trapped in Japan and then had to fight for Japan against, you know, sometimes their own family members who were fighting on the side of the U.S. in World War II. And so that's a really interesting transnational story. And then uh, an episode that I think will be of interest perhaps to some of your listeners uh, is about Patsy Mink, who is the first woman of color to be a representative in the U.S. House. Uh, she was Japanese American, and she was a representative from Hawaii. Uh, she was just a fierce fighter, just fantastic, progressive, uh, and you know she was friends with Shirley Chisholm and and Bella yeah. uh, Abzug and and all of the the women who were really fighting in the in the seventies. She was the mother of Title IX. Uh, so this incredible. There's a biography of her that just came out, uh, and one of the two authors of it is her daughter, Gwendolyn Mink. Mm. Uh, so I got to speak with both authors about her story. And then wrapping up my AAPI history, the last Monday in May, uh, I'm doing an episode on Chinese immigrants in Mississippi, in the Mississippi Delta of all places, who ended up, they were recruited there to to work on farms after uh, slavery ended, and there weren't as many African-Americans there uh, to work. And they ended up opening grocery stores, and you can still find Chinese groceries in the Mississippi Delta region. Uh, so mm. that's just a, a fascinating story too. So it, it's just been so much fun. Uh, heartbreaking. A lot of these stories are <laughs> not fun stories themselves, but it, it's been so interesting to learn about this history and to, to really be able to dig into it. Yeah. And how important is it, you know, to to tell these stories so that everyone mm -hmm. can sort of understand? I think I think a lot of modern Americans, particularly on the right, don't understand the fabric of our nation and how it was actually built. So that's so, so important. And of course, they're they're all trying to keep that history from being taught in school. Yeah. Which is, you know, why I absolutely love your show. Now, what what's June's theme? Because you tell us. Yes, yes. So uh, June, of course, is Pride Month, LGBTQ Pride Month. Uh, and so I'm doing all queer history. Uh, and that's also uh, just a is super interesting. So uh, I'm starting out with an episode about uh, the women's suffrage movement and the uh, both sort of the the queer people who were involved in the suffrage movement uh, and they're really great and sort of how they were putting a public face sometimes on being uh, heteronormative <laughs> so that they would be respected so that they could get suffrage. But then also some how some of the uh, techniques that they were using are, are really sort of informed by their queerness. Uh, so that that's a really fun story. And then a story, uh, there's a book that just came out, just came out this week, in fact, uh, by Hugh Ryan. And it is about the Women's House of Detention, which was built as a jail, um, ended up being used as both a jail and a prison in Greenwich Village in New York. And so it's right in the middle of the village. And it ends up being very involved in 
uh, the queer movement. Uh, you know, when Stonewall riots happen, this is right down the block, and the women in the prison are like having their own riot and throwing burning mattresses out the windows and stuff. And he talks a lot in this book about really the overrepresentation of queer people in prisons, the importance of queer culture in women's prisons. And how actually a lot of the people who ended up there, you know, their their crime, so to speak, was essentially that they're queer. Mm. Uh, and so that's a, a really interesting story. I've said interesting a lot because they're all really interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're also, like you said, heartbreaking, sad, yeah. struggle uh, stories, but also things that so many people just are unaware of. Yeah. And yeah. so it's you learn so much yeah. from this from these untold stories. So I'm looking forward to that very much. June Pride Month, very big here where where I live, mm-hmm. and uh, one of my favorite times of the year. And now there is a looming threat over rewinding rights that have mm-hmm. been fought for and earned, and well, this should have just been intrinsic <laughs> because of this Alito. Roe decision mm-hmm. that says, well, you know, you women didn't have any rights when the Constitution was written, so you shouldn't have any now. And if if anyone thinks that that just applies to women, I think they're missing the larger picture of where the Republican Party wants to go. And so in, you know, Pride Month, I think it's so important that we understand these stories because that's where they're going to go eventually with right wing politics and, and the minority rule. So we have to be very best way to prepare for that to fight is to understand the history. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think, you know, and I'm going to end June with a a story about a riot that happened before Stonewall. It happened uh, in 1966 in California in Compton's cafeteria. And I think seeing these struggles uh, that people have been going through for generations, really seeing how hard they fought really, uh, for me, is inspirational and how hard we need to continue to fight. You know, as you mentioned, these rights are are just going to be rolled back if we let them. And, uh, you know, knowing what people have gone through to get to where we are, which is still far from perfect, even before these rights are pulled back. But, you know, we need to keep fighting and, and we need to really take inspiration in these figures from the past. Yeah, and it's important for voting too. A lot, a lot of us, these issues do not impact us personally. I have like nine different privileges, mm-hmm. whereas if I don't show up, nothing really in my life changes. Mm-hmm. But to understand how it would impact other people is so so important. And and we don't just vote for ourselves; we vote for all of us. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to see you. Yes. It's been a while. I know that we will be uh, speaking again soon, especially in the run-up to the midterms and and everything that we are going to be doing uh, collectively to help in that fight. And thank you for doing your part by helping tell these stories. Uh, everyone, you can find Unsung History wherever you get your podcasts. And where can where can everyone follow you on social media? Yeah, so my Twitter handle is at Feminist Kelly. <laughs> and uh, the unsung history is at unsung underscore underscore history. If you can find the person that has an unsung history and get them to give it up to me, that'd be great. <laughs> and we're also on uh, Facebook and, and Instagram and, and all those fun places. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kelly Pollock. Everybody, we'll be right back with the good news. Today's beans are brought to you by Helix Sleep. Sleep is important for your physical and mental well-being. We all know this. We all need adequate sleep to function. I used to have insomnia. I would toss and turn. There were night sweats. I couldn't fall asleep. I couldn't stay asleep. 
Tossing and turning, night after night, it was nearly impossible to function most. And for years, I thought it was just all anxiety or stress or that Trump was in the White House. But as it turns out, I was sleeping on a mattress designed for someone else. That's when Helix came to the rescue. I took their online sleep quiz at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, and they matched me with the Helix Midnight because I'm a side sleeper and I like a medium firm mattress, so it's perfect for me. Now I fall asleep easily, I stay asleep throughout the night, and I wake up feeling refreshed and alert. Helix is awesome, but don't take my word for it. You know Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. It was the number one overall mattress pick in GQ and Wired Magazine in 2020. And Helix is highly recommended by leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine to improve sleep. They have a variety of mattresses available. Soft, medium, firm, body temperature regulating mattresses, plus-size mattresses for plus-size sleepers. Their online quiz only takes a couple of minutes to complete, and then they'll match you with the perfect mattress that will give you the best night's sleep of your life. There is free shipping, a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 sleeps without risk. They will come pick it up for you if you don't love it, and uh, you will, though. Plus, you get a full refund if you don't like it, and there are financing options available. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows to listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Hi, everybody. It's AG from The Daily Beans. Hey, this is Kimberly Johnson, host of the Start Me Up podcast. Hi, it's Frangela from The Final Word and Idiot of the Week podcast. Hi, this is Jody Hamilton of the From the Bunker podcast. Hi, it's Mariah and Steve from, from How, How We, we Win. Win. And we are joining forces to support the How We Win Fund. The midterms are coming and the best way we can fight back against the Republicans is to support Democrats in key battleground states. Our democracy is under attack, but we don't agonize. We, we organize. organize. Yes, we do. Together, we can protect and expand our Democratic majority this November. We are so close to a Cinna mansion-proof majority in the Senate. Take them out. Join the MSW Media family of podcasts and support the races that need us the most by donating to Swing Left's National Impact Fund. Just one donation goes directly to all of Swing Left's top races. A GOP stoking hate, peddling lies, and suppressing our vote means we need everyone to step up to protect voting rights, civil rights, abortion rights, the environment, constitutional gender equality, the government, our institutions, all the things. Do it. Okay. We beat Trumpism before, and together we will make history again. So go to swingleft.org slash fundraise slash how we win to donate what you can, share this with your friends and family, and let's show the GOP that the grassroots persistence is here to stay. This, this is How We Win. win. All right, everybody, it's time for the good news. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, anything you want to send in, you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Now, uh, one little housekeeping issue, and I'm going to be talking about this a, a few times in the coming weeks to make sure everybody hears it. And so I'm sorry if, if it sounds repetitive, but there was an archiving error with Apple Podcasts. And so we now have duplicate shows of the Daily Beans. One of those shows has like a zillion followers. The other one has some followers from the last couple of months when we mysteriously lost all of our subscribers and ratings. Remember? Yeah. 
Well, we found the problem. We've unarchived that show. Okay. And so now everyone should be getting it. But because of the rules with Apple, you can only have one show. You can't have duplicate shows running at the same time. But they're going to give us a couple of weeks to let everybody know that you're going to need to... Uh, it might happen in a couple weeks and I'll tell you exactly the date and the time and I'll give you a URL that you can click on so you know you're subscribed to the right show. But if the show stops showing up in your feed in, in a couple of weeks, that's why. It's because we have to archive that other additional superfluous show, which is the same show. So anyway, I just wanted you to all sort of be prepared for that. We will give you all of the details and the right links so to make sure that you keep getting this show in your feed as a subscriber. Just wanted to put that out there. And if you had lost the show in your feed for a couple months and all of a sudden it's back, that's why. It's because we got to unarchive that old show. Welcome back. Hello. We've been going for the last few months. You can now listen back if you want. <laughs> so uh, technical weirdnesses that happen, maybe, you know, mercury's in Uranus or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> that is what has happened. So on with the good news. First up from Mike from Jersey, pronouns he and him. Jersey Mike. Okay, cool. Hi, Beans team. The Daily Beans is my favorite morning media. One reason someone might identify Niagara Fall as Niagara Falls, New York, is because just across the Niagara River from Niagara Falls, New York, is the fair and foreign city of Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada. Not only do the Canadians get the better of the two cataracts, the Horseshoe Falls, but the Canadian city of Niagara Falls is about double the population of the New York State version. You'll be interested to know the American Falls was turned off in 1969 to study the rocks below the falls. Hmm. During this time, I first visited the falls as a young boy and found them to be disappointing. <laughs> 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 the locals will still tell the gullible that the falls were turned off at night to save energy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I've added a couple of photographs of the American Falls, one showing it turned off and the other showing the falls frozen, as sometimes happens in the winter. The beans are the best. Leguminati forever. I like. love pictures of frozen waterfalls. I think they're magnificent. Wow. I'm also like look, a waterfall chaser in general. Are those people, though, the little black spots in this picture, the first picture? I mean, is a waterfall that big? It's got to be. So. Yeah. Look at the other one. Those are, look at the people there. Yeah. Wow. It's about the same size. I, I, there, there it is. It's incredible how they can dam that off. Yes, it really is. I'm like, I didn't, you're, I feel like you're, like you're lying to me. But no, there it is. I know, right? All right. This next one's from Heather, pronouns she and her. Hello. Love the pod. I want to share some good news. We recently adopted our newest fur baby. His name is Max, and he's a four-year-old athletic pug. We had him neutered and vetted. He's now a part of our pack. His brother, Zero. Oh, I'm sorry. That's pronounced... Vizsla? Oh, Vizsla is the breed. Oh, I was like, there is no fucking way. <laughs> this is gonna be this is gonna be one of those laughing moments for AG Kid. We're not gonna be able to stop. I'm like, there is Dana. no way zero is pronounced Vizsla in some other some other language. You're I don't like, know nope. what fucking right. alphabet. <laughs> Somebody says so. I'm cool with Someone it. said so, so that's cool. Okay, Zero is a Vizsla breed, and Jack is a Chewini. If I had read that second part, I would have known, because clearly Jack is not pronounced Chewini in any language. <laughs> but his brothers, they love him too. And these are the cutest pictures. That is an athletic pun. Oh my God, there's the third one in the second picture that's a big boy. That's the Vizsla. Oh. 
Mm-hmm. They're so beautiful. Oh, got it. Oh, Max is the pug. Now I'm following. My God, everyone. Sometimes I'm just pretty. <laughs> sometimes I'm just pretty. I cracked up the last time you said. I think you said that to me at some point too. I'm sure I did. What a mess. I like had a. I had like a brain fart, and you're like, sometimes you're just pretty. Sometimes you're just pretty. I love that. I love that so much. Thank you. And so are you. And uh, next up from Lita, pronouns she and her. Uh, greetings, queens of the Leguminati. I am submitting good news because, damn it, I am proud of the hard work. First is a pic of our newly installed planter box wrapping two sides of our house. Hubs did the labor. I added the pretty. Our catio, sometimes you're just pretty, Lita. Our catio <laughs> is a favorite sunning spot for our three cats. Here's number two. Here's one of my pod pets not using the awesome bed I found her. <laughs> Of course they don't. They go to the box. Love all. We are mighty when we stand together. This is a beautiful house. Your lawn it sure okay, is. is the envy of all. That's amazing. And a very sleepy kitty. Nice catio. Oh, this is beautiful. Oh, sleepy baby kitty. I know. This is gorgeous. Thank you I'm so much for the, sure. I love on the windowsill instead of in the cat bed that you totally probably spend a lot of money on. Amazing. <laughs> All right, this next one's from Anonymous, but the pronouns are she and her. Real quick, you are all awesome, and I have a link to share. If you haven't already shared info on this upcoming event, please do. I've not heard or seen too much about the rally, so I wanted to help get the word out. Bands Off Our Bodies, the rally, is happening on May 14th across the country, and I have actually seen this in several cities. More information and locations can be found on this link, plannedparenthoodaction.org. So that's plannedparenthoodaction.org. Click on, quote, join May 14th rally to find an event near you. The link will be in the show notes that we just said. So you can go ahead and have that there. And also for pet tax, I will share my photo. Life with a lab. (laughs) Thanks, AGDG and the crew. So basically, there's a photo of a lab that's been brushed and a puppy of hair. Just just (laughs) hair, but the size of a puppy on a counter. I thought it was a tribble. Oh, it could first, be a tribble. To, to be honest. Hilarious. Like, oh, so it's a tri- You have a, a pod pet tax with a tribble. Very nice. Also looks a lot like Donald Trump's hair. I mean, <laughs> let's does. be honest. Hey, and uh, Anonymous, have you ever trumped your dog? It's when you take that pile of hair and just set it on top, pat it down on top of your dog's head and take a photo. It's so much fun. All right. Finally. <laughs> no, this isn't. We still have two more. From Anonymous, pronouns she and her. Hello to the people of the Illuminati. I have some great news to share. Today was my 15th and final day of radiation treatments. It's been a long journey to get to this point. The journey included a biopsy and then surgeries. I'm grateful to my supervisor who was flexible and helped me get permission to, to work from home before and after the treatments and surgeries. I am also grateful for the expertise of the clinicians in the cancer center where I got treated. Their expertise in treating cancer allowed me to be able to continue to work and to care for my mother. I am also grateful that even though there was a pandemic, I was still able to receive normal screenings for diseases and that the cancer was caught early. My pet tax is attached. It is a picture of Joey, a Chihuahua Schnauzer mix that I adopted during October of 2020. Look at this baby. Oh, the baby. Oh, my goodness. With so sweet. Leggies. All right. This is from Kevin so from New Hampshire. No pronouns given from Kevin. I know you're working on your own good news theme song, but... You did ask for submissions, so here you go. It's in the version. I'm going for a nice Joe Jackson, Elvis Costello, new wave kind of feel. Here's the lyrics. Good news. Can you hear it? Don't you need it? Get it all right here. 
Good news. Step right up. Confess. Complain. Pet tax. No shame. Good news. And I know that is not what you wanted that to sound like, Kevin. Well, let's let's take a listen to it. Good news. Can you hear it? Don't you need it? Get it all right here. Good news. Step right up. Confess. Complain. Pet tax. No shame. Good news. Kevin, absolutely getting Joe Jackson and Elvis Costello vibes from that. Thank you for that submission. And that is definitely not what I sounded like. That wasn't the cadence. It wasn't the rhythm. I'm glad I listened. Yeah, we now have a few that we can choose from, and maybe we'll just rotate them. I, I went to a engineer's house uh, yesterday to to write and record a little bit of a blurb, and we'll see how that goes. Because I would love to, I, I know that everyone's going to be sad that we can't use Modest Mouse anymore, but we can't. Um, so, you know, and that's that's fine because artists should be paid for their work. And Indeed. Uh, so we're going to make our own and I'm actually going to look into getting that licensed for the use that I did have. So I can, you know, can the Modest Mouse toss them a couple bucks for, for the utilization that I already had. There you go. Anyway, that is the good news. And if you have any that you want to send to us or any, you know, good news theme song ideas or uh, pod pet picks, whoopee stories, things that you're creating and making your small business, you can send it to us at dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Any final thoughts before we get out of here today, Dana? No final thoughts today. All right. Well, we have, uh, well, let's see, uh, one more day left in the week which uh, means one more day left this week for an indictment of Matt Gates. <laughs> Keep I your know. fingers crossed. <laughs> for the love of all that's holy. I know. It's been since January that his ex-girlfriend testified against him. I, don't, I haven't heard anything. I don't know what's going on. All right. So until tomorrow, please take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over cute. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>